0: Great to be with you today. Good to worship with you. I want to take you back a few years, a few decades, a bunch of decades. A little boy named Robert asked his mother for two cents. Now, how many of you would love it if your kids asked you for two cents? They ask you for stuff that's $200, okay, not two cents. But Robert asked his mom for two cents. And mom said, Robert, what did you do with the money that I gave you yesterday? Because yesterday you asked me for two cents also. And Robert said, Mom, I gave it to a poor old woman in town. And mom was just filled with pride. That her son was so generous, so giving, so thoughtful. And so she said, well, Robert, of course, I will give you two more cents. Mom was kind of curious, though. She said, Robert, why are you so interested in this woman? Because Robert said he wanted to, you know, he was asking money again for this old woman. Mom said, why are you so interested in this old woman? And Robert says, well, she's the one that sells candy in town. (laughs) In our series, we've been looking at actions of true worship. And we know that God is a spirit and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And one of the truths that we're looking at in this series is the act of worship as seen By the activity of giving. And I want us to look at it in Mark chapter 12. We see this example of worship. In this, the life of this woman. Mark chapter 12 beginning at verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where offerings were put. And watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But... A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put, in more, has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. I believe that there are some things here that through the Holy Spirit that God desires to teach us as worshipers because I believe that we are worshipers. I said it uh, probably a couple of different times in this series that if we struggle with the issue of worship on earth, I, I wonder, will there be just an uncomfortableness about eternity for us because eternity is going to be characterized by worship, the worship of God. And, and we can think, wow, man, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine being involved, you know, in a worship service that lasted more than an hour. I don't know what I would do. Well, we're, we have human limitations that are on that, that will not be with us when we are in the presence of God. But these four things that I believe that we can look at in, in Mark chapter 12, where we're going to learn from this woman's two cents, because that's what Jesus uses as this example of an act of worship. The first thing is this, and that is that sacrificial worship pleases God. Now, in this, this, uh, this story, this, uh, this happening that we read about, they are in the temple, and we cannot we literally, mentally, we cannot get in a place where we really understand what they were experiencing. Because the temple was something that originally was built by Solomon. It was uh, something that over the course of history has been built and, uh, and, and really torn down and rebuilt on several occasions. And in Jerusalem, they were, they were there, and the, the temple was still functioning at this point, and, and Jesus was inside the temple doing something that we would have to say today we would consider very, um, almost inappropriate. Jesus is observing people as they are giving, Okay. He's observed. I mean, that's almost like the days of childhood when, when uh, as a kid they would put the offering baskets up front. And as children, we would come down to the front and we would put our offering in the basket. We would literally do it in front of everyone else. Well, Jesus is observing the giving that's going on. Now, these people may not all have probably would not have even all been from Jerusalem. They would have been from uh, from Judea. They would have been Jews from other parts of the world that several times a year they come to worship and they're bringing their offerings with them. And and the, Jesus describes some of them, in fact many, as being Wealthy, he uses the word rich. And and scholars believe that what it means is that that whatever they were giving, no matter how much it was, they didn't feel it. It wasn't something that they felt. When we talk about money, we, we can talk about money at a level that doesn't feel like anything, and then there's a level where it feels like something. And when they're looking at these people, the Greek really talks that it's it's that they're giving a lot, but it's not something ultimately that they feel. Jesus calls the disciples together and they're watching these people. And Jesus, as this scene plays out, undoubtedly the disciples are like, wow, those guys are giving a lot of money. That's pretty impressive. But Jesus doesn't want them to pay attention to that. He wants them to pay attention to this poor widow and her offering of two copper coins. And her gift in comparison to these other givers, these other worshipers, is nothing in comparison. And yet, Jesus doesn't applaud any of them he doesn't even mention them except for all together in a group what he does is he draws attention to this woman because of something about her gift but what is it about her gift that would draw Jesus attention how is it that she is worshiping with these two coins that makes it so different from everyone else The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, we read it uh, before uh, in this series, but Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and, and proper worship. The idea of sacrifice is true and proper worship. I don't see any place where we could connect this idea of true worship and sacri- the, the idea of, of something being sacrificial any closer than what Paul says here in, in Romans 12.1. That true worship has a sacrificial nature in it. Now, throughout scripture, the idea of a sacrifice is something that is dedicated to God when someone would bring a sacrifice to the temple they would bring a bull they would bring a goat they would bring doves they would bring sheep but they would bring that as something that had been dedicated to the Lord now I didn't I didn't take time to flesh this thought out but I think it's interesting that um, those sacrificial animals often were raised specifically to be sacrificed it's not that I have I have a flock of a hundred sheep and I I take one, I may show up and, and buy one that has been raised specifically. Those sheep have been dedicated, they have been set aside for sacrifice. And so it's not just the one sheep that's been set aside or the one goat or the one bull, but it's all of them. And I believe that part of the message for our lives is that when we worship the Lord, it's not just what we're doing in that moment of worship that is dedicated to God, but it needs to be the sum total of our lives that is dedicated. And when we turn around and give a portion of that back to God, it is worship because it's all been dedicated ultimately to him. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 The writer of Hebrews says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. This poor widow was dedicating these two copper coins ultimately to God, and she was giving them as her worship. And it stands out to Jesus, and it should stand out to us because of the sacrificial nature. When we think about worship, how does the idea of sacrificial worship really, how, how does that apply to us, and how, do, how should we really think about that? And I want you to think of it this way, when we really don't feel like giving worship, when we really don't feel like entering in, and we enter in anyway, that becomes sacrificial. When we think, I don't have enough time, and we give our time in worship. I really don't have enough energy or focus. I really don't have enough ability, and we give of those things. I really don't have enough resource, and yet we give of it. That becomes sacrificial. This woman was giving something that she could not afford to give. She was being sacrificial when we think that something is going to cost us too much time or too much effort or too much ability or too much focus it becomes more than we desire to give when we give it anyway we give it in sacrificial worship to God and God is pleased when we worship sacrificially God is worshiped when we feel it. I'm not talking the warm fuzzies. I'm talking about when we give it in such a way that we feel it. Unlike the ones in their, their monetary offerings in the temple, they weren't feeling it. But this widow, she felt it because it was everything that she had. When we worship God, we should worship and be willing to give it even when we feel it. Even when we feel like we're worshiping from a deficit. And that's exactly what she was doing. Secondly, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to teach us that God is our source. Why was this widow's action so different from everyone else's? Why was her worship sacrificial and the others were not? They gave, Jesus said, out of their abundance. They gave out of what they didn't need, what they wouldn't even feel. She gave out of her lack. When we worship, are we worshiping out of, out of an abundance? Or are we worshiping... Out of a lack. You see, when we worship out of an abundance of anything, it doesn't matter, time, ability, talent, focus, energy, resources, whatever it is, when we worship out of an abundance, we don't feel it. But when we worship out of a deficit, when we worship out of what we do not have or we do not have enough of, we feel it. And that worship becomes Not only does it become sacrificial, but we begin to understand that God is the source of all I have. This woman gave literally all she had. You say, how is that possible? How could somebody do that? Imagine her standing there at the temple near the treasury with those two copper coins and and the mental discussion that she is having with herself. How could she do it? It's all I've got. And I'm going to give it to God. We could be talking about anything. It just happens to be that Jesus tells the story of someone with two copper coins. It could be time. It could be ability. It could be my job. It could be a relationship. It can be anything that we hold as precious. How could she give all that she had? I believe the reason that she did is because she believed that God was the source of all she had. Not just the source of what she gave. She believed that God was the source of all that she had. So let me ask a question. Is your time... Your abilities, your opportunities, your resources, are those things, are you the source of those things or is God the source of those things? That is a question that in our own worship we must answer. And the answer to that question means, it it literally defines us as a worshiper. Because if we are the source of those things, then we are giving to God out of our abundance. But if God is the source of those things, and all that I have is his, whatever I give to him in worship, whether it's time, whether it's ability, whether it it, it would be finances, whatever it is, it's all his, and it's his to do with as he desires. And so as I give it back to him, I am saying, God, I am not in control. I am merely the manager of your resources. But if those are my things, if those are because of me, then I am in control. Do you see what I'm saying? I am in control. I am the one who says this is what's going to happen. I am the owner of those things. Whereas if God is my source, I merely manage it. Hey, guy." Chapter 2, verse 8, the prophet writes, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. I remember once walking along a river in central Wisconsin where I hunted and fished as a young man. It was the McCann River. And a friend of mine, uh, his, his parents, owned this property. And it had been in his mother's family before his parents were married. They grew up on neighboring farms and got married, combined the land, combined the farm into one farm. And I remember thinking, looking at these trees and looking at this beautiful little river that I love to fish. I love to deer hunt around it. And I thought about, can you really own, can a person really own this? And the reality is no, no. No one really can, the the bank can tell you you have temporary use of it, but you really don't own it because you can't live long enough to own it. You can just use it for a while. So when we think of, of, of the idea of that the silver and the gold, what does that really mean? It just simply means the resources of the earth are his and we're not around long enough to really make a big difference about that. Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Maybe there's a thought that you have says, you know, I've, I've worked for everything I have. Nobody's given me anything. It's my own ingenuity. It's my own effort. It's my own ability. It's mine. Then you are the source. You are the source of those things this woman did not believe that she was the source my question is who gave us the ability who gave us the opportunity things that we did not we did not uh, that we didn't deserve we didn't earn that came our way what some might believe is by chance but is actually God's divine blessing in our lives Who gave us those things? Ultimately, those are God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, the first part, he says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God gives you literally breath. Last night, as I was spending time with, with John and Janice at their kitchen table, celebrating the Lord's Supper together, Knowing that the doctors have said it could be a day, it could be a week, and she's completely lucid and communicative, and and we sat and we talked and we prayed together, you're just aware that every breath that we take is because of Him. Every moment that we are alive is because of Him. We're not the source. He is the source. If the widow believed that she was the source, she would have been afraid. If we say to ourselves i don 't have enough," then we 're not going to be able to worship with it if we 're the source, if we see it as we 're the source. But when God is the source, we can give we can give in a way that literally is sacrificial because If God gave it to me in the first place, God is going to continue to bless my life and continue to give to me, continue to bless my life, and I don't have to be worried about holding on to those things. If God is my source, the resources won't won't dry up. We're, we can then worship with, with our time. We can worship with our energy if God is my source. I can worship with my talents. I can worship with my energy. I can worship with my resources because life is not the, the, just a, a pie, okay? Now, life as a pie would be great if it's your favorite pie, but I'm talking about like, like a, a zero-sum game. And you take a piece out of that pie, and that piece is never coming back. So you got to save as much of that pie as you possibly can. Because in your economy, you're your own source. But when God is the source, he owns unlimited pies. He owns it all. Thirdly, worship requires trust. This widow, she had no income, she had no future. You're like, what are you? What do you mean she had no future? We can't understand the first century without without looking into it. She didn't have a husband who could provide for her. She could not of her own. If she did not have children that would accept her, if she didn't have a husband that would accept, or or, 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 a a family member, if her husband is dead, she has no provision. There is nothing. And her two cents would have been all that she had to live on. There's no job. There's no Social Security. I mean, I'm grateful for these things. I'm grateful for that. But there's no 401K. There's no pension. There's no savings plan. There's no equity in the house. You can't go to the bank and say, you know, Tom Selleck said that I can can borrow some money out of my equity. You know, I could do a reverse mortgage. I don't know if those things are legitimate or not, but Tom Selleck's hawking them on TV all the time. There's no, uh, there's, there's no trust. There's no side hustle. There's no safety net. There's no family. So how could she worship the Lord with all she had? The answer is trust. She trusted him. She knew that he was the source of all she had, and she trusted God completely. What would our frame of mind be if we were in her position, we would be like, I can't worship God with this. I've got to hold on to this because obviously I don't have enough. Fear and anxiety can consume us. We would worry, we would clutch it all to ourselves. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When Paul says, be anxious for nothing, he literally means take no thought. Don't think another thing about it. You ever have somebody say that? We're worried about what something's going to cost and somebody says, don't think another thought about it. It's been taken care of. And it just feels like a weight is lifted from our shoulders when that happens. Paul is saying that we should be anxious for nothing. Don't even think another thing about it. And then he says, by, by prayer and or by petition, uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what he's really saying there? Worship. You need to worship. Instead of being anxious, worship. Just worship him. It's so reassuring. 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Rather than being anxious, let's choose to worship. Let's trust God to be who he says he is. Do you know the Bible says that that God knows what you need even before you ask Him. Can we trust Him to be that God? Have you ever caught yourself worrying about something and then had a, a scripture like that come to your mind and then you think, "How silly am I? Do I believe this or not? Because if I believe it, I need to, I need to stop. I need to stop being anxious. I need to stop worrying. And, and, and then bring my petitions with thanksgiving. I need to start worshiping God. That's how he's going to show me who he is. And we need to trust God for who he says you are. Do you know the Bible says that we are the children of God? We're the children of God. Scripture says I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. Now, I'm not saying that there's never been a believer that's been in want. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm just saying that that's what the scripture says, and, and I've got to put my trust ultimately in him. And so I'm going to stand on that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I've got to believe that God is not done with me yet. He is going to carry it on to completion. I've got to trust in him. And it really, when, when, that, when it says in Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust him and he will do this, it means he will act. Do we trust him to act? That's a big one. Do we trust him to act? And number four, God loves cheerful worship. Would you blame the woman in Mark 12 if she kept the two copper coins? Would you blame her? I would not blame, in fact, you know what I would do if, if this was, okay, I would have, I'd go up to her and I'd say I'd say, ma'am keep those copper coins, okay? In fact let, I want to give you something to help meet your need. I think there's a lot of you that would do the same thing. If you knew the details of the situation, you would say, don't give, but let me, I want you to receive from me. Let me help meet your need. That's what we would do. We would want to step in like that. Was anybody forcing this woman to give these coins? No, she was worshiping out of her own heart. There's no compulsion, there's no forcing, there's no condemnation. She is just doing out of her heart what she ultimately desires to do. In Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, the Apostle Paul is, is, is challenging the Corinthians because as part of his missionary journey, he is actually collecting resources to help Christians back in Jerusalem that are being persecuted by Rome. And he said, each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This, he's not talking about their tithes. He's not talking about supporting uh, the church in Corinth. He's talking about helping people that live a long way away, that are believers, that are under persecution. And Paul says you shouldn't feel any sense of condemnation. You shouldn't feel any sense of compulsion, but decide in your own heart what you want to do and then cheerfully do that. When it comes to worship, I believe God desires to give of our worship cheerfully to him. Let me ask you a question. Are you always cheerful when you worship? Let me, let me put it a different way. When Nikki or Marie says, stand with me in worship this morning, are you always cheerful? <laughs> this morning I was saying hi to a, a, a young guy here at the church in first service, and he, he had a hat on when he walked in, took his hat off, and I could tell he was tired. Tired, like he looked exhausted. I said, "Dude, you look tired." And he said, "So do you." <laughs> and I had to be honest. I mean, that that a birthday for a 2-year-old is exhausting. You know? It's exhausting. It, it and 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 sometimes we come in on a Sunday morning and we're just exhausted. We're tired. It usually happens in the summertime, though. You ever notice that? Because we got all this daylight and yesterday was a beautiful day. So, you know, I had to do, I had to do my 10-mile run yesterday. I mean, I was whipped. Come in this morning, you know, but what do we do? Nikki says, Come on, let's stand and worship. Are we cheerful worshipers or are we begrudging worshipers? Well, that's really not my song. You know, I, I prefer when I prefer when Marie leads, you know. It's more my speed. Or, or do we say, Jesus, I'm, I'm just here to worship you. I'm just here to lift up your name, to use all of my time, my energy, my focus, my, my, my resource, whatever it is. I'm just giving, because it's all his anyway. And I give it to you. Man, That. That is worship. That's being a cheerful worshiper. I love Psalm 100. There's some of the Psalms, you know, 95, 96, and 100. They're just, they're, such, they're so spectacular uh, in their encouragement for us to worship. Shout for joy to the Lord. This was not written by somebody who lived in the, in the, the northern part of the, the, uh, the, the Midwest. This was not written by somebody that was Scandinavian, okay? This was written from a different culture. This could be written by somebody who's from Africa, Madison. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. We're on the way to church. We're like, man, I hope they don't drag it out too long. I hope Taylor doesn't preach very long. He's so long-winded. I hope that worship doesn't go longer than it should. I want you to know something that this widow worshiped in the most difficult area of her life. Finances was the hardest part of her life. She chose to worship in that area. Maybe time is your most difficult area of your life. You don't have enough time. Worship him with your time. Maybe, maybe it's, it's your ability. Maybe you feel, I, I, just, I just don't have enough ability. Worship him with what ability you do have. Come on. That's, I, I told the first service, I said, I don't care what you think, that's good preaching. And they were real quiet in that part. Like super quiet. I got a couple of amens this morning. I got you know, a couple of head nods, and that's good. We need to worship in the area that is the area of our greatest need. And recognize, I'm not the source. I'm not the source. If it's time, realize God gave you every second you have. Every second that you have. He has given it to you. Worship him with it. He's the Lord over it. Man, that's good. I'm sorry. Worldly wisdom would say, keep, keep all you got. You don't have enough. Keep it. Don't, work, don't Don't use that for worship. That's not dedicated to the Lord. That's yours. You develop that ability and that talent. It's yours. Keep it. You don't need to use it for God. Man, we, we need to just be like that woman. God, this is the area of my greatest need. You've given it to me. It's yours. You're the source of all that I have. Be a cheerful worshiper. Remember, God knows what we need even before we ask him. There's a saying, I'm going to give you my two cents worth. After service, a young man came up to me and he said, I'll give you a penny for your thoughts, but then I'm going to give you my two cents worth because my thoughts are worth twice as much as yours are. I said, you're probably right. That saying, it means, what I'm going to tell you isn't really worth much anyway, but I'm going to say it because I want to say it. Let me ask you this question, what is the value of your worship? Is it worth 2 cents? If it's the widow's 2 cents, that's a lot. That's worth a lot. You see what I'm saying? I mean, if 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 it's if it's just extra, if if you're not going to feel it when you when you give it, it's not worth anything. But if it's, if it's literally, if it's all you've got, it's worth it. It doesn't matter what it is comparatively to anyone else. I don't care what your ability is to someone else. If you worship God with your ability, it's worth something. I don't care how much time you have compared to someone else. If you use it, if it's dedicated to him, if God is the source of all you have, then the worship is acceptable. And it's a great thing. Are you a sacrificial worshiper? Is God the source in your life? Do you trust him with your worship? And is it cheerful? Man, it needs to be cheerful. I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. Just to to encourage us to be worshipers. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this time that we can be together, that we can, we can look at your word and this challenge from this widow who, who took all that she had and in the, the area of her greatest needs, she worshiped you. No one forced her to. No one condemned her. But she simply said, I'm going to give it all. Father, may we worship you with abandon this way where we're willing even in the areas of our greatest need to worship you, to acknowledge that you are the source of all that we have, to to literally give up that sacrifice of praise. Father, I thank you today. I thank you that you have blessed us with so much. May we in turn declare that you are the source, that we trust you with our worship, Father, I thank you. I praise you. In Jesus' name.